wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of God. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our God and you have revealed to us the mysteries of all creation and how they are all found in Christ. We pray that you might help us to see that today as we consider your plans for all creation and how we fit into that. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now I want you all to imagine what your life will be like next year. Just think about that. What will it be like next year? Will next year be the year you get your driving license? Will next year be the year when you start to grow some facial hair? And the boys, and girls, not just boys, will you be growing facial hair next year? Or will next year be the year when you lay your eyes upon the most gorgeous, the prettiest, most beautiful textbook? Will it be next year? Will it be next year? Or will next year be the year when you fall in love? Now I want you to think further into the future. Five years down. Five years time. What will your life be like? Will you be married? Will you be working in your dream job? Or ten years down the track. Think about that now. Will you have children then? And some baby boomers here. Will you have grandchildren? Baby boomers, any here? No? Ten years down. What will your life be like? Well, as we imagine these things and think about what our life might be like, perhaps will be like, hopefully will be like, I'm sure you would agree with me that no matter how much we plan, how specific our plans are, how much we plan out our life, there's no guarantee that any of it will happen. You, I'm sure you agree with me. You can plan out your life, but there's no guarantee at all that any of that will happen. You might fail your test again. Your, your eyes uh, are, will be perhaps laid upon the most ugly textbook ever. 
It, you, you might never fall in love. You might remain single for your whole life. You might not have kids. You see, we can plan our life, but they might not happen. And that's why Christians, those who believe that there is a God, a God who created this world, this universe, a God who runs this world and sustains this world, that's why Christians are fascinated to work out what is God's will for me? What is God's will for my life? And for a reason, we want to work out what God's will is. We want to make sure that what we do in our life aligns with God's purposes. And so Christians have always asked, what is God's will for me? And perhaps that's why you're on this camp this weekend, thinking about this topic. But you see, the trouble with this is, how do we actually know what God's will is? How can we know what God's purposes are? You see, we see life a bit like a maze, a bit like this. Do we turn right or do we turn left? If we make the wrong turn, does that mean we actually stuff up God's plan if we make the wrong turn? If we make the wrong turn in life, does it mean that we won't end up where God wants us to end up? If we make the wrong turn, does it mean that we don't end up with the treasures of God? And so Christians have always asked, what is God's will for me? What are God's purposes for me and my life? And so I'm lost. And that's the theme of this camp. I'm lost. I've worked it in there somehow. I'm lost. What do I do with my life? Now, if this is your question, if you are asking this question, I want to suggest to you that it's a good question, a good question to ask. But then I want to also suggest to you that it's, in fact, the wrong starting question. If you are asking, what is God's will for me, for my life? What's God got planned? God got planned for me. It's, in fact, the wrong starting question. It's the wrong starting point. You see, we need to actually start off with a more fundamental question than that. A more basic question than that. A question that doesn't actually start with us. A question that, that doesn't actually begin with us. Does, doesn't begin with you, doesn't begin with me. Let me tell you why. We shouldn't start with us. Have you actually ever wondered how small and insignificant you are in the vastness, the grandeur, the greatness of this universe? Have you ever considered that? We are actually very small. If you compare us to the universe, we're tiny. You see, we are, in the world today, there are about 7 billion people. You're just one of that person. One of that 7 billion. We get lost in a sea of people. And now us, in our planet, compared to our solar system. How does that compare? Earth? Earth is perhaps a bit, it's a bit bigger than some planets, a bit bigger than Venus, Mercury, and Mars. But how does our planet compare to the larger planets in our solar system? So here's one there. Earth compared to Jupiter. Jupiter, Saturn. Earth is tiny. Now, now just keep in your mind, you are one of seven billion people on that planet there. Okay? Now, Jupiter, how big is Jupiter? Well, Jupiter is pretty big, biggest planet in our solar system. But compared to our sun, it's tiny. That's our sun there. And that compared to another star, tiny. And that compared to this other star, the Sirius, seriously big star. <laughs> our sun is tiny. But then that Sirius star is seriously small compared to that star, and then that star. It goes on. So I want you to keep in your mind how small you in fact are. One out of seven billion on planet Earth. But then that star doesn't end there. 
compared to this this guy. So that was the big one, the one before, and that's this big guy here. There's an end. There's another one. Look at this. That's a big one, and then you've got this B.Y. Canis Majoris. So I want you just to have the universe in perspective in your mind. You are small. You are tiny. Now, just to put that into perspective, if the Earth was the size of a ping pong ball, a golf ball, ping pong ball, about this size, okay? So this is planet Earth, and you are one of seven billion people scattered on this little ball. Then that star, Canis Majoris, will be as big as Mount Everest. You can get that in your head? This is Earth. That star is as big as Mount Everest. And if you think about all that, God made it all. As big and as majestic as, and as vast as the universe is, God in fact made it all. Now just so you see, our star, our sun, compared to that big one, just a speck. Now in the grand scheme of things, I want us to see that we're just a speck of, speck of dust. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. And so as great as you will become in this life, you will live 70 years, 80 years, 100 years maybe, as great as you will become, just a speck, here today, gone tomorrow. Now I'm not saying this to, to depress us this weekend. You know, you might feel a bit depressed, oh, I feel something else small and insignificant. And I don't want us to have a corner with people crying during activities today. That's not why I'm telling you this. I want us to hear this so that we are realistic, so that we see that we, in fact, not we're not in the centre of the universe. We are not in the centre of the universe. We're just a speck. In fact, if we it, it, and so if you think about the question, what is God's will for me? What is what are God's purposes for me in my life? You can actually start to see why that's the wrong starting question. It's the wrong starting point because. We're not in the centre of the universe. Instead, we need to start with a more fundamental question. A question about what God's plan is for all that he created. All those stars, the galaxies, the universe. All of that. What is the purpose for all of that? So we need to understand that first. Get our minds around that. And then we can start to understand God's purposes for us. Do you see that? There's something bigger than us. We need to understand what, what did God do all this for, and then we can start to understand God's purposes for us. And so let's begin at the beginning. Why did God, what did God do at the beginning, and why did God make what he did? And so we begin at Genesis. Now many of you would know the story of creation. If you've read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you know in those two chapters what happened. God the Creator, he was there already, and he created everything. Everything that is now, what well, is here because God made it so. God spoke his powerful words and things came out of nothing. The world, the universe, the stars came because God spoke. And so that's creation. Now on the sixth day of creation, God created the universe in six days. On the sixth day, God did something very special. The pinnacle of creation was in fact human beings. So though we're small insignificant, just not the dust, human beings were in fact created unique. So I want us to look at Genesis chapter 1. I've got it up here. Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27. Then God said, let us make man in our, our image, in our likeness, 
and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so, before I just depress you a bit, you're small, you're insignificant, but now I want to say you are unique. You are special amongst all of God's creation. It is the human beings who were created unique. You see, it wasn't the lions, the bears, the whales, the donkeys, the monkeys, the mosquitoes that were created in the likeness of God. In the image of God, it was you, human beings. You were created in the image of God. And so you were made special. Small, insignificant, but unique. Now, of course, scientists, they say that you people, you share 99% of your DNA with the chimps. Have you heard that before? You share 99% of your DNA with the chimps. Have a look at this guy's face. Or girl's face, I have no idea. Now, what do you think? Will you marry this, this, this thing, this person, this monkey? You share 99% of your DNA. Surely you should be able to marry this thing, would you? That's not right. The, the thing is, there's still that 1% difference. There, there is still that 1% difference. But you see, when God created human beings in his likeness, it wasn't simply and purely a biological difference. There is a biological difference. But what's different in our uniqueness as human beings is our functional difference. Our purpose is different to the monkeys. Our purpose is different to the animals. And so that's what it means to be made in the image of God. So now I want us to think a bit about that. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, it means two things. Two things. Firstly, it means that we are created to be God's representative, God's vice regent, God's rulers over this world, but under God, to submit to God as the creator, and we live under God, ruling this world. Now, now in the ancient world, this was what they did. The kings of the ancient world, what they would do to show that they are ruler, that they are king, was they would, would create these little statues of themselves. They would place it around their kingdom to show that that belonged to them. And so when a farmer saw the statue, they would see, okay, this area, this land belongs to that king. You see, so kings did that to show that they own that area, that kingdom. It's a bit like what, what some animals will do, what tigers will do to to set out and mark out their territory. They will spray their scent around. But I'm not saying the kings did that. They set up statues around to show that that was their territory. Well, in a sense, that's what God did, but in a grand, uh, more grand way. He created us in his image, in this earth, on this earth, to rule this world as his representative, as his vice regent, to exercise dominion over this world. And if you think about that, is that hard to believe? It's actually what we see in the world now, don't we? We don't see elephants living in palaces, do we? We don't see donkeys sitting on royal thrones, do we? We see humans there. We don't see monkeys in parliament writing out legislation, do we? Now, some of you might think that they're monkeys. They're not monkeys. They're called they're bad people, and they're called politicians. Right? They do real work. You see, so it's humans ruling the world today, as it was. For thousands of years. And so it's humans who were made in the image of God to be rulers under God, representative of God in this world. So that's the first reason. The second 
second meaning of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we are to reflect God's character into this world. It is the humans who are made to reflect God's character of love, of mercy, of compassion, of integrity, of honesty, of justice. You expect that of humans. You don't expect those things of animals. Right? You don't expect animals to live that way. And so when you see, you watch those BBC documentaries, you see a lion chase down this innocent, helpless zebra and kills it and eats it alive. You're not going to go to that lion and say, bad cat. You shouldn't have done that. Bad cat. You don't do that, right? Or when a lion sees another male lion and sees all his lady lions and he gets jealous. He goes and he kills that male lion and then he kills off all his cubs as well. To, so that he can establish his own genes. And he takes over all those lady lions. You're not going to go to that lion and say, Lordy cat, bad cat. Right? You see, the animal kingdom is different to us. We are expected to live a different way because we were made in the image of God. We are the ones who are to present, uh, represent and, and reflect God's character in this world, not the animals. And, and I'm sure you would agree with me that you don't actually have to be a Christian to believe that, to actually understand that, to see that that actually makes sense. And so humans are to reflect God's character. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? To be rulers, God's representative in this world, under God, and also to reflect God's character. But you see, this we're, we're trying to think about God's purposes at the beginning. So we're trying to work out what God's plans were. Now the creation of human beings beings were, was unique and the pinnacle of creation, but it in fact was not the goal of creation. The goal of creation we see on the seventh day. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 2. By the seventh day, God has finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You see, the goal of creation was for rest. Humans are the pinnacle of creation, but the goal of creation was for rest. God rested from his work of creating, and what God has done in his great mercy was he invited humans, you, to enter into his rest, to enjoy him forever, to be with him in paradise forever. That is the goal of creation, that we would enjoy God forever. But of course, if you've read the next chapter in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, you see that that beautiful, harmonious picture, this relationship between us and God, and us and each other, was broken very quickly. You see, Adam and Eve, they listened to the serpent, to an animal, rather than the good words of God. And so what they did was they turned the order of creation upside down, rather than to submit to God as the ruler, the creator, the king of all. They instead submitted themselves to an animal. They turned God's order upside down. And what they in a sense did was they set themselves up as rival gods, rival rulers. They said to God in a sense, I don't want to live your way. I want to eat that fruit. I'm not going to care what you say. I'd rather listen to this snake. And so what they did was in a sense dethrone God. We don't want you to be our God anymore. We want to be our own gods. We don't want to just be your vice-regent. We want to be the ruler ourselves. And so that was what Adam and Eve did. The picture in creation was quickly broken, and it has been broken ever since. Every, every human being 
ever since then has dethroned God and says to God and said to God, I will live life my way. I know what to do with my life. I don't need you. And you know what the Bible calls that? The Bible has a word for that. It's called sin. Sin is our rebellion of God, our rejection of God as rightful king. And so that beautiful picture in Eden was quickly broken. And so we're trying to think about what's God's plans, what are God's purposes. Right at the beginning, it seems to have already been stuffed up. Right? God created humans unique to be his representative, to be his rulers. But that image, that paradise was so quickly destroyed. And so I want us to think, did God's plan actually stuff up? Was it all destroyed right at the beginning? Well, what we can do to work out whether God's plan, in fact, was destroyed and stuffed up, is what we can do is do what Yvonne, my wife, used to do, or in fact still does. Some of you have heard this story before. Now, Yvonne uh, is my wife, and but she had, she has, oh, she's, yeah, she still does have this very annoying habit. Very, very annoying habit. Um, when Yvonne watches a movie, what she likes to do is she forwards to the very end, watches the last few minutes of the movie. <laughs> Now, she wants to find out the end, and then, like a normal human being, in the image of God, start from the beginning of the movie and watch all the way through. Now, I found that extremely annoying, because when I watch a movie, I want to feel the suspense. I want to go on an adventure. I want to work out the twist myself. But Yvonne is there, yapping away. You want to know? You want to know? <laughs> Very annoying. But sometimes, I want to say that it's perhaps a good thing to sometimes know what the end is like. It's not always a bad thing. You know this movie? Titanic. It just goes on and on and on. <laughs> I mean, just watch the end and you find out why they fall in love, one guy dies, one survives, and the boat sinks anyway. So why would you bother watching that movie for, for three hours? And so in a sense, we can do something like that in God's plan of creation. We've seen the beginning. God created human beings in his image to rule under him, to enjoy him forever. That's the per- perfect picture of Eden that was quickly destroyed. What we're going to do now is we're going to go to the end. We're going to see what the end is like. And we're going to see if this is the end. Does it mean that what does it say about God's plan? Was it actually destroyed by us? Did we actually suffer God's plan? So we're going to go to, end, to the end and we're going to look at Revelation 21. Revelation 21. So this is the end. Then I saw, this is the Apostle John. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And so what this is saying is that where we are now, what we uh, have now, where we live now, all of this will be gone. All will make way for a new heaven and a new earth. And then we read on in Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. Now that should bring to our minds the things of Genesis. That was how it was in Genesis. They will be his people, people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. And so the picture of the beginning, it was quickly destroyed by human beings. Well, we see that again at the end. This harmonious picture where we will enjoy God forever. 
but it's better. It's in fact better at the end. And so that's the picture, the two extremes. I want us to see that this is sort of like the bit, uh, bird's eye view of God's purposes in all of creation. The beginning, we have a pinnacle. We stopped it up. At the end, we see that there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and perfect harmony between people and God. A glorious picture that is. But let's think about that now. Who is it that takes center stage at the, at the end? Now, we were the pinnacle of creation, but who is it that takes center stage at the end? You know, we might still be led to think that God's purposes, in fact, still centers around us because we get to enjoy God in heaven. But you see, that's not the case. If we read Revelation chapter 7, we find this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, and no one could count for from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Someone else takes center stage there, the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now what do we know about this Lamb? Well, it's described earlier in chapter 5. Then I saw a Lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. There's this Lamb. Suddenly this Lamb pops up at the end as the center of, of the throne of God. But who is this lamb that is worshipped by the multitude, by the billions upon billions of people? Who is this lamb? Well, you see, this lamb is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the one who takes center stage. Jesus, God's own beloved son, takes center stage. And God's internal, eternal purposes centers on him. So I want us to think about this. At the beginning, we were the pinnacle of creation. We stuffed it up. In the end, there's still that similar image where we get to enjoy God, but we're not in the center. Is this lamb who was slain, Jesus Christ, God's own son. And so what that tells us is that God's eternal purposes does not center on us. We are not the center of God's purposes. God's eternal purposes centers on his son, Jesus. You see, if we think about it, we were the rebels. Just like our forefathers, Adam and Eve, who rebelled against God, but then in the end we see Jesus. But there's something profound about that. Who is Jesus? God planned at the beginning, God, God's intention at the beginning was for human beings to rule. Now, who is Jesus? Jesus became a man and he remains ruler. And so, what that suggests is that God's plan perhaps was not stuffed up by us. God's plan for a human ruler was there at the beginning and will always be the case in the end. And we also learn something else about Jesus. In Colossians 1, he that is Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. How were we created at the beginning? We were made in the image of God, but Jesus is the very image of God. And then in Hebrews, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustain all things by his powerful word. And so Jesus is that perfect representation of God in human form. So I want us to sort of grasp this. God's intention at the beginning was for humans to rule. 
to be his representative, made in his image. We stuff it up, but at the end, that's still the image we see. But the person, the human person, is God's very own son. In the image of God, perfect representation of God himself. And so what that does suggest is perhaps God's plan was not stuffed up. And it confirmed that in Colossians, it confirms that. Colossians 1.16. All things were created by him, that is by Jesus, and for him. So that mega star we saw before, the Canis Majoris, made by Jesus and for Jesus. The, the mountains in this world, made by Jesus and for Jesus. The whales, the lions, made by Jesus and for Jesus. Even the mosquitoes were made for Jesus. You see, God's purposes centered on Jesus. Even you, you were created, you are living, you are in this world, because you were made for Jesus. And so what this means is that Christmas, which we'll celebrate in about a month's time, Christmas was no accident that God became man. It was no accident that God, Christ, became a human being. Because God's intention at the beginning was for a human ruler. And we see that at the end. And so Jesus is that human, the centre of God's purposes, eternal purposes. And so there, God's big plan, we've got the beginning, we've got the end. And now we've got to ask, where do we fit in? How do we actually fit into the, these big cosmic purposes of God? You know, every day, everything will be brought under Jesus. He will be the centre of the universe. But what about us? Well, do you remember the picture of the end? What was the lamb looking like? Was he bright and shining? He was actually slain. The lamb was slaughtered, butchered and killed. That's the picture we get at the end. Now, why is that? Was it because the Apostle John, he was a farmer and he liked killing lambs, and so he put that in the Bible? Of course not. You see, just as Christmas was no accident, Easter was also no accident. Jesus had to die. God's eternal purposes centered on Jesus and centered on him becoming a man and centered on him dying at the cross. So at the center of God's purposes was Jesus Christ. And at the center of that was the cross of Christ. Easter was no accident. In fact, the purpose of Christmas was for Easter to happen. You see that? The purpose of Christmas was for Easter to happen. Jesus stands at the center of everything. And the cross stands at the center of that. And so why did Jesus have to die? Well, remember the very beginning, how how Adam and Eve and all humankind stuffed up, in a sense, God's purposes. We rejected God, we dethroned God, we said, and we said to God, we want to rule our own lives our own way. We sinned, we rebelled. Now, if you think about that, that's not just a mild wrong. It's actually hugely offensive to God. To say to the Creator, who gave us our life, we don't want you in our life. We, we, we want to get on our life without you. That is not just mildly offensive, it's hugely offensive. Now, if you think about this in the ancient world, any emperor or king, if you were even mildly rude to the emperor, you'd get your head chopped off. And this God, this perfect judge, he says he's not going to let evil get away. He's, gonna not, he's not going to let rebels get away with what we want. 
Rather, there is judgment. And that judgment, God says, is death. And so that's why Jesus had to die. Jesus had to die in order that we might live. At the cross, there was the great swap. Jesus died that we might live. Jesus died so that we can enjoy God forever and enjoy Him being amongst the great multitude around the throne. And so the cross stands at the centre of God's purposes. The cross of Christ. Now, now we've got our very own pastor, theologian, Pete Sorensen. I've got a picture, and I've got a quote from Pete that, that really helps me remember, remember this point. And that is, <laughs> the cross was not just something God did. It was the thing God did. He said God's eternal purposes sent us on His Son, Jesus, and that sent us on the cross of Christ. Not just something God did, it's the thing. And so what we're seeing here is that God's purpose is at the beginning for human to be rulers. Well, we see that at the end. The one human, God's very own son, ruling the whole universe for all eternity. And so how do we fit into God's purposes then? How do we fit into that big plan of God? Well, God in His mercy, in His love, He allows us to enjoy that. He brings us in that we can be amongst the multitude around His Son. We can be there. But you see, there's a big but here. Not everyone will be around the throne of Christ. Not everyone will be around the Lamb. Not everyone will be in heaven. And do you know why? The answer is actually quite easy. It's because not everyone wants it. Not everyone wants it. Not everyone believes. And so as Christians, we share this wonderful news that that's the end. That's what's going to happen. As we share this wonderful news, we'll have people who, who say, I don't want to, I don't care. And they are the people who won't enjoy that. Instead, what will happen to them? Revelation 21. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexually immoral, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second day. So there will be the great multitude around the land, enjoying God forever. But there's also this other place, this, this fiery lake of burning sulfur. And I want you to think about you, the now. Where will you stand there? Will you be amongst the multitude, or will you be in that second death? But how can you be a part of that great multitude? Well, it's great verse, John 3, 36. Whoever believes... Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That is how we respond to God, that we may be part of the multitude centered on Jesus Christ, the center of the universe, the center of God's purposes. We just need to believe. We just need to say, I believe in Jesus as the one who saves me in his death and the one who rules now as the king and master of all universe. It's just belief. It sounds too easy, doesn't it? I remember speaking to someone this year, and and I was telling her, you can actually become a Christian and you can have the hope of being amongst the multitude in heaven with God forever. And her question to me was, is it that simple? Just believing? And my answer was, yes, just believe. Believe in Jesus as the one who died, and the one who rules. 
And so when we ask the question of what is God's will for your life, well, we tend to have a very narrow view of that, which we'll get on next talk, but we tend to have a very, very, very narrow view of that. We want to see God's grand purposes, a bird's eye view, beginning, end. That's the end. Where will you be in the end? And so God has given us this bird's eye view, and it centers on Jesus. It does not center on us. Just spec, unique spec, important spec to God. Here today, gone tomorrow. Where will we be in the end? And so, you know, the question I asked at the beginning: What will happen next year? What will your life be like in five years' time? In ten years' time? Well, we we get stressed out about that. We think a lot about those things. But my question to you today is: Where will you be in a billion years' time? In a billion years from now, where will you be? But God, in his mercy, has shown you where you can be. You can be with him in heaven, the great multitude around the land. You can be there if you believe. And so during this weekend, let me urge all of you, if you especially if you haven't really taken Jesus seriously, just seriously consider where do you stand, not just 10 years' time, 20 years' time, but where do you think you'll stand a billion years' time? And you can have the assurance that you will stand before Christ, around Christ, the great multitude, if you believe. And so this weekend, perfect time, perfect opportunity. Speak to your leader, speak to me. But I'm going to pray now, and then I'll hand it over to all. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your mercy you've given us a bird's eye view of all creation. We thank you that... You do let us see that we are unique and important, though we are not the centre of the universe. We know that the world and all creation centres around your Son, Jesus, and help us to see that. And help us to see where we can stand in a billion years' time. And help us to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name.